0: Thank you. Back everybody to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Uh, it's the international break, and today uh, I'm joined by Jordan and Ola, and we're going to break down following the last match against Borough in the FA Cup that pushes Chelsea into the semi final, uh, where they beat them two 0 on the road. Or on the road uh, is how I'm going to say that as an American. So I hope all the Brits enjoy that. Um, but uh, anyway, that match was, you know, first half was very. Open. There was a lot of chance creation. It really looked like we were taking it to Borough. Uh, in the second half really tailed off. We had our goals scored in the first half um, from Romelu Lukaku and Hakeem Ziyech, both with open play assists from Mason Mount. Um, overall, you know, you saw really a great performance from Mount. You saw a really good performance overall from the Chelsea team. It did start to uh, drop off quite a bit in the second half, From uh, from at least from in my opinion we did. We dropped off enough to where it just felt like we were just kind of riding that one out and grinding the result, not really going forward as nearly as much and trying. And we had some subs in the second half as well, but without saying too much more, I'm going to pass it over first to Ola. I'm going to let you get your thoughts from the match and then we'll move over to Jordan for match thoughts. And then we'll kind of get into uh, the international break and what's going to happen and what we can talk about uh, there.
1: The the Middlesbrough match was for me standard and while I was watching it, I wondered why Manchester United and Spurs struggled so much. Then I instantly realised why Manchester United and Spurs struggled so much against them. At the end of the day, Chelsea is much better than... I mean, we are the third best team in the league. And we are the third best team in the league. And we're not close to Arsenal. Or rather, Arsenal is not close to us. Manchester United is not close to us. Spurs are not close to us. This... Many people look at those teams and see Ronaldo, they see Bruno Fernandes, they look at sports, they see Hurricane, and they think, you know, it's a good team. But Chelsea's team is a well-drilled side. And I saw a, a screenshot, not a screenshot, a picture, where someone insinuated that Tuku's team requires, on, requires individual brill- brilliance. And when I see things like that, I find it funny because... There's no team that doesn't require individual brilliance, you know? But that's beside the point. I liked how we handled Middlesbrough. We did not, at any point, make them think they were even close to having a foot in the tie. And that is really how you should play against these teams. If they're if they're a lower division team, we, we shouldn't struggle against them. It shouldn't be a back and forth. We should be on top of them throughout and... That kind that kind of 2 0 win, I find very comfortable because it's a clean sheet, it's a multiple-goal win, and if you watch the game, you'd see that, despite the fact that it was not a large margin of victory, it could easily have been, and we did not, at any point, look like, oh, we have to bring on a player that we're trying to rest and, you know, things like that. So, it so was very interesting. I liked uh, Lukaku's performance, not just the goal. I like how he linked up play, how he he held up play and brought in the other forwards. And about Lukaku, I think the, the problem people have is they, they say it's, it's, the, it's the role he's been made to play. He's been made to play as a tra- target man. And I wonder what people think a target man is. A target man is a centre. A centre forward is a target man. There is no center forward that doesn't have target man in his duty. If you watch Haaland, Vlaovic, Lewandowski, there is none of them that doesn't play as a target man. They don't all just run in behind. They have to receive the ball, lay it off to someone, and then run. And when they do that, their teammates still find them. But Lukaku, when he does the lay off and he runs, we hardly ever look for him. But, you know, it was much better against Middlesbrough. I hope that was not because we played against Middlesbrough. I hope when we play against, better teams, league teams, top teams in Europe. We also see that kind of fluidity. I liked Ziyech's performance. He did not try to force it. He didn't try to just look to cross the ball into the box anytime time he got the ball. He was content playing in, you know, into the channels for Mount and I think it was Asplopeta at some point. So I liked that. There were a lot of other performances. I thought our midfield was non-existent. I thought Lukas Chick had a bad game, and not just because of the the thing he nearly did, where you know he received the ball and lost it on, on the edge of his box. I thought he was. I thought. I thought Kovacic had a bad game, which is which is rare. I thought Mendy played very well, and apparently that was his first FA Cup game, which I found surprising, but not that surprising. When you have a seventy two million pound goalkeeper on the bench. There'll be a lot of weird things going on between the sticks too. Yeah. But it's a very comfortable victory at the end of the game. That's what we want. Into the semifinal. Uh,
2: one thing I think is Zieck and Lukaku ha- are just really good together. A- and I agree that I think Lukaku was better. I think Tuchel may be getting to him uh, a little bit, like getting through to him, which I think is good because he's pressing better. And he's, uh, well, as you said, he's holding up play really well. So I think there's an element of that that Tuchel may be just like getting through to him. But I think what Lukaku does is if the other team's playing with two center backs, he takes up both center backs. If they're playing with three center backs, then he usually gets takes whichever the covering center back, the middle, and then whichever side he's on. And then one center back's free. And with Ziyech, what that means is that entire when he drifts in, there's a direct line of goal every single time. And that direct line, like, he's created a lot of chances for Lukaku that way, but, like, he scored that goal, and it was a crazy goal. It's a wonder goal, but, like, he can do that. And I think that, like, I, people said Pulisic didn't play well. And I guess I hear that, but I think, like, he kind of did what was asked of him in that game. Um, I think Ziyech and Lukaku are kind of must-starts together. Uh, just like I think Pulisic, Mount, and uh, Havertz are playing really well together. I think Ziyech and Lukaku, like you can have whichever one of the other attackers on with them, but those two have to be out at the same time is my, my I, Reese may be another one that can replace Ziyech a little bit, but he doesn't drift in like that. So I think Ziyech is pretty unique in how he compared with Lukaku.
0: No, I think that's one of my biggest things I was thinking about too, Jordan was that Ziyech and Lukaku do seem to have this really good on pitch, you know, chemistry. And I, you know, I saw that they were over the international break that they're in New York city together. So I think mean, there is something there and they do have a really good production on the field. Right. It, it, and they complement each other. Well, right. If, if, if Lukaku can, you know, if we're going to possess the ball closer around to the opponent's box, we get some space out wide and then we do some off ball movement, whip it in and look for Lukaku to score. Ziek is very, very good at that. As well as whenever Lukaku is making those fainting runs, it's opening up space for Zieck, And, you know, we've seen him now scoring more often than he ever really has throughout his Chelsea career. So I was really impressed with that. I thought that, you know, also I was pretty impressed with Mason Mount. His form has been kind of been up and down a lot more recently this season than it was back in his player of the year, you know, form of last season. But I was impressed that, you know, he was doing a lot of the things that he's off criticized for, as well as, you know, just kind of if we can get more out of him like that the rest of the season, then there's there's something else to be said there about him getting the starting lineup. But I think the caveat there is look at where he was playing. He was kind of just being given a, a free role Within a midfield three, uh, in many ways, and that's where I think that long term, if Mason Mount can occupy more of that role, and we switch to maybe more of that system, uh, that, that we might actually get even better results out of him in, in that in that dynamic. Um, I thought he was really impressive in, with the way that we played uh, against Boros. So, and I've always kind of had that opinion. Maybe he's going to be for the best of his career. Uh, he might be a lo- best a little further back. Uh, Than you know, a pure inside forward attacking player, Um, it always feels that sometimes the kind of decision making where he is relatively a little bit for the field feels a bit rushed or, you know, indecisive at times with him or just a a bit too slow, but I feel like when he has that deeper, uh, deeper playing ability, and it's not much deeper it is just a little bit, you know, further back. Uh, it, it's just giving him more that fits his game. It also gives him more space to run uh, as a presser. It gives him more to occupy as well. And he does press very, very well and has very good off ball movement. So I do find that maybe that's a, a role that he can occupy uh, in the long term, especially if we moved in any way to a back four, you know, for next season, which truthfully um, is probably what we should do given how we are so top heavy on attackers uh, and we're starting to become very thin at defenders. But that that was kind of my biggest takeaways from the match were those things. The second half was very dull, just kind of dragged on for me. Uh, it just was like kind of seemed like we were there to see out the rest of it. We had a few good chances. Werner, you know, had the one where he was stopped the shot, stopped, you know, kept going. looked like he was going to just slot it in, and then blasted it right into the uh, into the defender and didn't score. But really, that was about the only one that sticks out for me. That was a missed one. But from that win, uh, Chelsea go into the FA Cup semi final where they will meet Crystal Palace. And during the, uh, you know, meantime, they are on the international break um, and should be the last one for the season. But, you know, Chelsea have had quite a few different injuries, players with a lot of overuse, things like that. So do you think the international break comes at the right time or the wrong time? Um, And what do you think are some of the biggest questions surrounding this break right now?
2: Oh, I think we needed it. I I, I think that, that, I mean, first off, I think Tuchel's kind of figured out like, To your point about Mount, I think like if you look at it, even when it's we're playing a back three, if you look at it in like just a formation chart, what he did is he changed from a three, four, two, one to three, four, one, two. And because Mount is kind of that sole, like central player in attack, he goes back far to get the ball. And like he's the connector. And I think he's much better in that role because he's not like the most technically gifted of passers. He, he has a great sense of space and he has a great work rate. And I think letting him be that connector. I mean, that's how we used him in the champions league final last year, right? Like, remember he's the one who created for Havertz, but he created from deep. And so I think that having figured that out, I think having figured the ZX Lukaku thing out somehow, like, I don't know what it is. Tuchel's a defensive wizard and like our defense is back. Um, And and so I think like having that all figured out, we're running on fumes. Like my issue with the international break, more than anything is these guys are still going to have to play. Um, But we were running on fumes. I, I think like even in the Middlesbrough match, you could see towards the end, these guys were just exhausted. Like when we started playing like, very slow holding the ball. Like you could just tell they were they were t- too tired to keep going. So I think the international break is good. I I happen to hate international breaks, not because like we don't get to see Chelsea, but because inevitably these national team coaches are going to overuse these guys and somebody's going to come back hurt. Which is why I'm really glad ZX not going, because at least it means like you know you're going to have him. Um but I I I just I think it comes at the right time. I think it gives Tuchel, and to be fair, it gives Carlo Ancelotti the same thing, but it gives Tuchel time to prepare for Real Madrid. And this is going to be, we'll talk about this in a bit, but it'll be a different challenge this year than last year. So I think it's good that he has that time. Uh, But Ola, Travis, what about you guys? I I,
1: I think the, the international break came at the perfect time because for a number of reasons, one of them being, you know, we've played a lot of games and we had a lot of players that just had to play because we didn't really have anyone who could play in their position. Uh, I also think it comes at the right time because the uncertainty around the club off-field is also, you know, we also need that to be resolved as soon as possible. And the general belief or expectation or hope is that we will have a new owner by the time the international break comes back. But mainly for, you know, the fact that the players need rest. And while it's not all the players about, that are going to get rest, it's... A lot of our players will play like maybe two matches in, in two weeks or something like that. So those are where we'll get rest, especially Ziyech. We know, we know Ziyech is not going to you know, come back injured or something like that. Because whenever he gets injured, it seems to take more time than anyone wants to come back from injury. And then when he does come back from injury, Tupul is never eager to just push him into the lineup straight away, which is smart. But, I mean, that's just a selfish thing for me. I always like to see play whenever possible. But yes, I like the fact that Zeeh is not going. I think mainly for the, the uncertainty, and we, we've played a lot of games recently, and the players are, are probably mentally tired as much as they're physically tired. Because it's difficult to ask every presser, you're yeah, asked about, you know, what's going on with the ownership and why this is happening and why that is happening. And while the players are not directly in the media, they are seeing the things that are happening and they know when they go into games that the narrative around them is I hope they lose from 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 the pundit and the media anyway. We you know that was the narrative going into the Liverpool game. Everyone just couldn't wait to see Liverpool leave the trophy. Going into the Middlesbrough game as well, especially with the with the sporting integrity thing, you know, everyone wanted the players to lose, and they they, they they've, they've been mentally they they've, they've been mentally strong this past few weeks, and that's not an easy thing to do. Yes, they are paid to play football, but at the end of the day, they are human beings like everyone else, and while the fans are going through their own crisis to a to interfacing with the media and changing off as much as he could send off. The players still had to deal with sitting in one way or the other and they still had to play on the pitch as well. So, I, I imagine that they, they would like to just take this break and the other part of it is that even if they play during the international break, there are more players available to the manager during the international break so they wouldn't rely on any one player as much. They likely if if it's months, for instance, for England, he likely will play one game and not play the next. If he plays during the international break, so it's it's good we, we ended it. Though so we we usually don't play that well when we come back from international breaks. But that's just something that we have. To. When we get to that bridge, we'll cross it the there. Well, also, like, how would you
2: guys feel like if your employer was like, "Oh yeah, by the way, we can't generate revenue right now." And we Mm -hmm. don't know if we're going to be able to pay you in three months. Like the fact that these guys are out there playing, like, I don't care that it's a sport. I don't care. Like it's the same with any job. If your job is like, Oh yeah, you may not have a job in three months, or you may have to look for a new job in three months. Nobody's going to function that well. Like you're not, you're not going to function that well. So I think like Tuchel, he's not at Reno's level yet at this, especially, but like he is really creating a siege mentality. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to work, but like you still need the players, right? The players need yeah. to still come out and play. And I think all oh, you're right, yeah. like they got to come out and play.
0: No, I, I, and that's kind of what my concern with the international break was like, so you've already seen right now in social media, there's been a giant this backlash this week against the uh, Ricketts family bidding for Chelsea football club. And, you know, what I worry is that the longer the situation goes on, not just for the obvious financial reasons that Jordan just highlighted, but just the continual fact that most of what surrounds the club may not even be what's going on on the field or with the players or any of that. So that's like kind of my major concern is that the longer that that continues to happen, that the more that is going to become a louder and louder noise that, that maybe Tuchel won't be able to craft enough of a siege mentality for. That's my bigger concern. And, and, and that's just completely purely conjectural because none of us speak to these players we don't know what their you know feelings and mentality and if this is motivation or if this is something that makes them feel the opposite and want to you know give up and just you know leave the club none of us know that information at this time um but i do feel that as an employer you're right when there's continual uncertainty surrounding your your employer itself and you're working every day there and you don't know what the future holds it's going to get harder and harder to not ignore those continual distractions. So that's why I kind of feel like the break can help if we do have, you know, a pretty much a bid announced Who the short lists are for the bids. And if there is potentially, you know, within the next two weeks, a sale announced, this could be, a lot of this is swept under the rug and he's already crafted this incredible siege mentality, like you were saying, Jordan. And, you know, like you're saying all the players have to just, you know, they still have to play. If all of those things can still, you know, line up and we can get this sale wrapped up in a somewhat timely manner, then this could work incredibly well again, because let's be honest, in the champions league, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to have you know, some tougher matches starting um, coming up with Madrid, which we're getting ready to preview and then other than that, right, you, you still have Liverpool and City out there, um, you know, City getting Atletico. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how we, you know, how we progress in the Champions League, if at all. And I think that, you know, right now it's going to work. Um, and I think it's a good good time to kind of transfer uh, on the next topic here as, as we kind of wrap up the international break and the impl- immediate implications and potential long-term implications for that as well. Um Going to in the next round in the Champions League after Chelsea advanced uh, over Lille is our next opponent is a familiar one from last year. It's Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid currently come off the back of a four nil demolition that they suffered in El Clasico to Barcelona. And truthfully, I was watching the first half. It could have probably been much worse. I mean, Barcelona were just ripping that Madrid team apart and they had all of their typical people on defense for the most part. Uh, however, they were missing Kareem Benzema. You had some people suggesting that it, you know if Kareem Benzema was uh, if Benzema was there, that that result would not have been the what it was. Yeah, I think it probably would have been better. But the same day Benzema's a striker, how's he? Is he going to stop the Madrid defense? Essentially, just getting carved to pieces. That's where I'm a little skeptical on that. Uh, that that take. So with that said, I'm kind of planting a bit of a seed of doubt here for uh, how good this Madrid team is, as well as uh, La Liga's overall. A much much uh, lesser competition this year um, compared to the Premier League, or you know maybe even either, either some other uh, some other leagues, such as maybe even you know the German league has been pretty solid this year with some teams. You know you always have Bayern Munich out there, which are always a powerhouse every single season, regardless of how the Bundesliga is. But it does, from my opinion, seem that La Liga is suffering a little bit. You know, with uh, you know, with that in mind, Madrid haven't really changed their side all that much since last season. Uh, it's so, all you know they do have Carl Ancelotti at the helm. Um, you know they still have Vinicius, still have Rodrigo, still have you know Benzema, they still have uh, obviously the midfield three, uh, Cruz, Casemiro, and the best of them all, Luka Modric. And again, so I'll ask, you know, where do you guys, what do you guys think about this preview? Uh, and you know, having drawn Madrid, um. What are your thoughts on that? You think this is a good draw, bad draw? How do you think we match up? Um, how do you think we can exploit Madrid and and uh, move on to the next round?
2: I am not. I I think this Madrid team is better than the team last year. I uh, that Carlo Ancelotti deserves. Like Carlo's just got to take the L for that match. Like what he tried doing was a four-two-four with like the two strikers were both false nines. Like not to similar to what like City sometimes does. And thought he would be able to control the midfield that way, and he just they they couldn't. um And I think part of that was like Kamavinga wasn't playing, or did, came out as a sub. But I I like, Carlo's a really good manager, and like you can look at the PSG second leg, where like Carlo just totally outfoxed Pochettino. Like we know that as Chelsea fans, right? Like frankly, out of all the managerial firings. The, the one that Roman said he, like, I've heard that, I've read this multiple times. Roman regrets firing Carlo. And I think there's a good reason for that. Like, he's good. I am not confident that, like, we will be able to play a four at the back against him at any point. Because I think Carlo will basically say, okay, so I'm going to bet that Rudiger isn't going to stay in position the whole match. Because he doesn't do that. Like, I love Rudiger. Like, I I, I love Rudiger. But, like, his positioning is not good because he's so fast he can recover. But, like, you can't do that against Benzema if you're at four at the back. So, I think that inherently is going to mean we're going to be playing three at the back. And Madrid's defense sucks. Like, they suck. But you have to be careful because, like, Carlo's going to set them up to counterattack. And you, th- we've got to be careful. Our counterpress needs to be perfect. Uh, I, I think Carlos is a much better manager than Zidane. And even if like you think this this squad is slightly worse from a talent perspective, which I can buy, like they're a year older, uh, and Kamavinga is young, so I, I can buy that. I think this is going to be harder than it was last year. Like I actually thought Real Madrid, we, we, I, they were our easiest Champions League opponents last year, even better, more than Porto. Like I really thought we just had all the answers and I don't know that that's the case. One thing I will say, like, if we can get through this, I'm much happier. We're going to face City or or Let It Go, but like it'll be City and uh, semifinal than Liverpool. Like I don't trust our ability to win a two, uh, two legged like, match against Liverpool. So, and I have more confidence in, in City, which isn't much, anyways. But yeah, I, I think Real Madrid will be harder. I still think Chelsea will win. Uh, I just. I think it will be harder than it was last year.
1: I think uh, Real Madrid are disadvantaged because they don't have a yet. <laughs> Seriously, I, I I watched the the, the Real Madrid Backer match, and I remember I told someone earlier in the day that 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 there was no way Barca was going to win because I thought Real Madrid had better players, a better manager, but what I saw. <laughs> What what I saw in that game was I, I saw things. Basically, whatever it is that Ancelotti tried to do did not work. I mean, it, it, it just didn't work. And when you play with when you play with two central midfielders against Barcelona, you really underestimate Barcelona. And I understand that, you know, they can't balance their books, they're broke maybe, they spent too much money on players they shouldn't but at the end of the day they are still Barcelona and they are not that far away from getting back to where they are supposed to be because just by being Barcelona they can attract players that no other team in La Liga can attract, they can attract players that several teams in the world can't attract and you, you can see how they we can see how their transfer market, how, how they did in transfer market, they got some very important players that they didn't need to pay that much money for and those players are, are, are working well for them now. I'm not deluded into thinking that whatever Ancelotti did against Bakao is what he will do against us. And I think Ancelotti is definitely a better manager. I think what we don't, what we, what Madrid have in Ancelotti that they didn't, they didn't have in Zidane is Ancelotti has, is that much more experienced that even going 2-0 up against him is not enough to guarantee you a safe passage. So he can, at any point in time, make one or two changes that, you know, turns the game on its head. And if you two-legged so he's going to have a lot of time to, to do magic like he did at a PSG. I think Chelsea is a more balanced team than PSG and Baka. So not, we, we wouldn't be that worried about, you know, pulling a PSG against them. But we cannot underestimate them. And I agree they have a better team now. Yeah, I mean they're topping La Liga for a reason, by a a substantial margin. I think Ancelotti had injuries. I don't know why Benzema didn't play, but I think he, he was injured. That could have only have been it. So I I think he had injuries that he just had to find a solution for, and that was what he tried to do. It didn't work out. But if there's one thing we know about Ancelotti is that he learns his lessons. it's not going to. You are not going to see him repeating that mistake again. So I agree that are probably going to beat them over two legs, especially because we have a more energetic we have more energy in our midfield than generally around the across the board. We have younger players and the last time the their midfield really struggled. Their, their midfield really struggled because they didn't have uh they, they, they had players that are technically good but are not that physical because of you know their age. And when against Kante and Kovacic and Mount, you know, it's going to be very difficult to match them because you can only do, you can only show how technically good you are when you get the ball. And when, you know, you have to run around and chase for the ball and you can't get, you know, it, it, it just puts you at a disadvantage. So, yes, uh, Carlo is, you know, he, he has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Like Jordan is mentioning now that you know, he was called the Tinkerman at Chelsea, that you don't get that kind of title just by making one or two in game team, in game changes here and there. So we know he has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, which means we have to be extra careful in the tie. We can't afford to, you know, do... The last time we faced Madrid in the first leg, we had a lot of space that we didn't do anything with. And I was personally very irritated at the end of that match because I felt we could have, we could have really put the tie away in, in the first leg. If we get that kind of space, this time, we have to do more with it. But other than that, I think at the end of the day, it's Real Madrid, they have very good players. They have very experienced players. They have players that are very comfortable in, in the Champions League space. So they are, they are not overwhelmed by the occasion like other, other players w- will be. They are not overwhelmed by the occasion. They can treat it as a normal game. And the ability to treat a very big game like a normal game can be at a disadvantage, but if you've won that many titles in the Champions League, you basically see every game as a normal game, and it means you have the composure and the state of mind to you know not not be overly aggressive and not be not let the occasion take advantage or get the best of you but yeah i I think overall we we have more energy than they do we have more variety to select from in, in terms of our forwards. We have a much better defense than they do. And, yeah, I, I'm i only worried because, you know, they have Antelope at the helm and it's Real Madrid. You can't really you can't really be too confident against Real Madrid. But I, I believe we should beat them over too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not terribly worried, and I, I know they have you know a lot of pedigree to them. But I feel like that pedigree was also driven uh, quite a while ago in terms of time, and also they had you know Ronaldo at the peak of his powers leading that. So I, that's where like for me, I'm kind of I, I feel like they're not what they used to be. It's obvious the legs aren't there as much for a lot of those players. You know, defensively. They've got this weird mix of, you know, Carvajal is starting to decline. Um, I don't think he's quite the player he used to be. And I just don't I, – I, I look, maybe I'll regret these words, and probably so since I say them, but I, I just don't really have a, a huge fear for this Madrid team. And I said that last season as well. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, Alaba is their best center back, and he's terrible uh this year. So it, it says a lot. I I mean, I give respect to them and I give respect to Ancelotti and everything. I do. I have respect for them. But if I'm being objective about it, I don't see this team as being any better than the one that we beat last year when our team was still forming, let alone. I mean, we've lost three times since September. Uh, We've been on quite a a better run than people realize this year. We don't lose very many games. So I think we're very well suited for cup ball. Um, We're just not very well suited for the league. And I, I I do feel yeah like th- this should be something that we do progress from and get to the the semi-finals of the Champions League but we shall see uh we shall see but um I you know to kind of close out I feel you know we'll have a lot to come up soon there's going to be a lot of you know matches uh it's going to be a very a frantic finish for us um for the season as we approach April and and, and May um, a lot to be played between now and then, potentially, if we progress in the Champions League. But with all that's gone on, you know, we've kind of uh, we've it's been a lot that's gone on. Uh, yeah, as a Chelsea fan, you know, the last month. and I think it's been for me personally, it's been uh, something you've seen a lot. Where you've seen, you know, people that are on the side of the fence, where you know there's this strict, uh, you know, consideration for what the owners might be. You see other people on the side of the fence where there's no consideration whatsoever. Um, you know, you have uh, you, you have people getting their opinions and just getting, you know, lashed out upon and it, it's just been a lot going on in the, in the Chelsea uh, Twitter sphere lately. And overall it's been, it's been pretty rough. It's been, it's been a pretty like dark side of the fan base kind of moment for a lot of us at, at, as supporters. And I feel like maybe the, it's starting to return a little bit more to normalcy right now. Um You know, you can kind of still just follow matches, do your own thing. It's kind of what our other host is doing Travis Tyler right now. He's just, you know, I'm gonna set it just pay attention to the matches and watch them and enjoy them and and and, and just do that. And I think that's where we're all trying to get as a fan again. Like I would love to get back to that point. Um, and hopefully we can by the end of this season. But uh I yeah, I don't know if you guys have anything to build off of that. I just wanted to, you know, kind of get that started and kind of just summarize everything that's gone on the last month. It's just been a, an absolute whirlwind. I I I would admit
1: that I don't like many of the things I saw in the wake of the sanctions and how you know it became it became a lot of a lot of attention that were, was always there. I mean this information about abramovich was always there. I knew about abramovich when I was in whatever the equivalent of it of Primary three was in and where you people are But I said supporting Chelsea then and not long after I found out, you know, who our owner was and how he got his money and I've always known that. And the reason why I said a lot of the things I said was, for me, the the best way to be taken seriously is if you flag something, if you mention something as soon as you flag it. If, for instance, I, I, we make a sign-in, I think the player will flop, and I don't say anything, and then the player does flop, maybe three years later, and I come out and say, I knew this guy was going to flop. No one is going to listen to me because, why didn't you say anything, why? Because if he had not flopped, I would never have said anything. I know I wouldn't have said anything. The reason I'm saying this is, a lot of the conversations that happened in the wake of Abramovich's sanctions, happened as though you know it only became an issue now and that's why i had to go and ask you know what actually is the what what's all the fault about because like club mentioned in, in the presser, he said did you really care when when he came in we, we need the source of his wealth i'm not i'm not here to say you know that abramovich is a good guy he has done lots of good things for not just football, but for a lot of things, but ultimately we know that at the highest level of politics, a lot of things happen. And if we were to get into that, how far are we going to go? Because tomorrow more information will come out and then we'll have to have another podcast. that. And then after that, more information comes out and then we we'll have to modify everything we know about anything. I My point was more that the fans, only have the football. That's all we have. We don't control anything that happens at board level. We even barely control anything that happens on the pitch because that's the manager's decision. But all we get is to watch matches. And that's what I want to do. That's what I wanted to do. When it became, you know, a morality argument between how we should feel about Abramovich, it's extremely difficult to... I'll use an analogy by, I think it was Snoop Dogg, I can't remember who it was, but he said when he was, he was in trouble and it was a white policeman that helped him, That's what to, that, so to him, there's no racism. Whatever you are going to tell him, he's never going to listen to you because what his, his, his interaction with a white man was, was, was everything, was what saved his life. Why I'm saying that is, to many Chelsea fans, Abramovich is the Chelsea owner. And why yes, he's also a Russian oligar. He is the Chelsea owner. And the only thing we can say about Abramovich is what he has done for the club. And when Chelsea fans are extremely appreciative of Abramovich, it's not because they are going, yeah, I'm not about to part, but I'm, I'm fine with it. Because if they're not fine with it, what what can they do? At the end of the day, he came to the club. He gave the club something that they didn't have, they've never had in in, in their history. And why many, if you say you'd rather not have that. I can't decide for anybody what they want. But what I'm saying is, what Abramovich has given us, I don't want to lose it. And I don't think I'm crazy in saying I don't want to lose it. What he has given us is something very special. And what we remember him as, it's very difficult to know someone for that long, even though we didn't know Abramovich, and then suddenly just start hating him. Because, we're not hating him because he did something new. We're hating him Based on something that he did, you know, as far back as nineteen ninety-five, nineteen eighty-eight, or nineteen ninety-one, whenever that was. It's a very complicated thing to put fans in the position to start taking, you know, start choosing what 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 they want to feel about Abramovich. Because at the end of the day, even if this this thing happened long ago. It happened long ago. In fact, in nineteen ninety-five, I was born a year later. So when you tell me about everything that happened in 1995, I'm looking at you like, okay, we can, we can feel how I want to feel about it now, but why suddenly start feeling all these things now? Because it, it, again, you it didn't do anything new. Why start feeling all these things now? Why not feel it since when we're winning our first league title in 50 years? Why not feel it when we're, you know, winning all these trophies and everything was fun? Because it's very difficult to not be happy to win trophies that a lot of people have been trying to get their hands on. It's very difficult to not enjoy that. And when, you know, it's, I personally feel which is a victim of circumstance. And I say that because that's why everything he has done, nobody was calling for his head before somebody took an action, you know, somewhere else. I'm trying not to get into Politics as much as possible, but it's a political topic so it's very difficult but what I'm just saying is the football is all the fans have, and that's just all they want that's what that's what they want to watch their team play football and sanctioning the club almost made sure that that couldn't happen because when they told us you know we didn't have money to for, for the boss to to travel to games so it became very it became very uncertain and and worrying but it's not when we're worried about Chelsea, it's not because we don't care about what's happening in Ukraine. It's because football affects everybody in different ways. And football for some people is more than just an enter- is more than just entertainment. For me, it's entertainment or it's more than that. For someone like Tuku, that's his job. For players, they pay a lot of money to play. They may get selected, they may not get selected. But the manager is always on. So if you put the, mic- you put the microphone to Tukul's mouth and you say, what do you think about Abramovich? What do you expect him to say? It's his job. I mean, it would be no belief he can stand up and, you know, I'm done with this and walk out. That would be very dramatic and nice. But this is reality. This is reality. And it- I'm not going to sit somewhere and tell someone you shouldn't have anything to do with that government, you shouldn't have anything to do with this government. Because like Eddie Howe now, look, if you put yourself in Eddie Howe's position, he was out of a job. He got hired to manage Newcastle. He has been doing well. The thing with Abramovich happened, and then they were asking him, what do you think about mass execution? What do you expect Eddie to say about mass execution? Uh, 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 Eddie, what do you think about mass executions? Oh, I, I hate it. It's absolute nonsense. That should have no, no place in where we are. In fact, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm resigning now. I, I want nothing to do with Newcastle. That, that would be nice. That would make headlines. But that's not real life. At the end of the day, in real life, he's well aware of what's happening around him, but he can only focus on the job his his brother to do. When you start asking him political questions, and when he doesn't answer, you say, oh, he's just dodging the topic. It's extremely difficult for us to to have clear thought processes and clear moral, to make clear moral decisions when it comes to, you know, matters of livelihood. Football is all we have, really. And when fans are put in this situation, the rickets are, are what they are. If we get, if we got taken over by P- PIF, for instance, as managing Newcastle, I would not like it. But what can I do? We also Manchester United. We also Manchester United protest. It was quite an illegal protest because they entered the, the stadium. They destroyed some things. It was a very, very public event. But they met Glazers. I think it was. I can't remember who, who, who particularly was, was met, but they asked for his comments. He didn't even answer the reporter. He ignored the reporter completely, entered the stand, drove off. And they're still mm-hmm. on Manchester United now. If you ask Manchester United, they'll tell you they don't like the Blazers, they're taking out the money out of the club. And what, what can they do? All they have is football. They, the football is all they have, and that's, that's how we're connected to the club, through the football. We can't really do much at board level. We can't decide who owns us. We can't decide who manages us most of the time. But with a lot of times we have a saying who we'll gets sacked because if we make the ground toxic enough, the manager will get sacked. But at boardroom level, there's nothing we can do. So football is all we have. And let's not put fans in any more awkward situation that they need to be because they're just here to support the club and all this baggage just comes with it. We can't ignore it. So that's all we have.
2: Yeah, I mean, I so... Quick bit of background, right? I became a Chelsea fan because I got to go to London and I got to go see a match. Like I was a Premier League fan for a long time before that. And then I went to match and like Dave Grohl, the lead singer of Foo Fighters says like when he plays his hit song, it's a magical moment because you have 50,000 people in front of you, all who are thinking the exact same thing and like all have the exact same feeling like this kind of like passion together. And that's really how I felt when I went to the match, right? There were so many other people there And and it was just magical. And then, like, a few years after that, COVID happens, right? And I think, like, a lot of people, I had pretty bad depression during the pandemic. Like, real, like, was getting treatment and everything. And, like, the one thing I had that, like, because, right, I, I was with my parents during the pandemic. So, like, they were there. And work was there. And, like, the one thing I had that wasn't my parents or my work or my friends that I could only see virtually was Chelsea, And, like, Chelsea Twitter became a big thing for me because, like, it was a way to interact with other people. And it was just, even if you disagreed, the goal was the same. There wasn't anybody on Chelsea Twitter that was a Chelsea fan that was like, yeah, like, fuck Chelsea, I want them to lose, right? Like, everybody, and, like, there's something magical about that, that it, like, takes it away. And for me, the problem that happened during this is that you had... Chelsea fans on Twitter, not just like whitewashing what was going on with Roman, but saying that if you didn't do it, you weren't a real fan, right? Like that Roman, and it's like, it's possible to have both truths, right? It's possible to say Roman's a bad dude. And given like what the UK government saying Roman did, like he probably deserved to be sanctioned, but it's also possible to say at the exact same time that like, I just want to be a Chelsea fan right? And I want to, I can say, I don't like Roman. I don't, I think he deserved these sanctions while also saying like, I want to be a Chelsea fan. And the biggest issue I saw on Chelsea Twitter were people saying that, no, if you don't support Roman, you're not a real fan because look at what Roman gave you. It's like, it's possible for both things to be true. And frankly, when you hold the opinion that you can only be a fan, if you meet X criteria, takes away from your ability to enjoy. And to me, That was a big frustration that I saw. Uh, That was a big thing that I saw that was frustrating to me. Um, But, like, I... I, Listen, like, I watched every match, and I have rooted for Chelsea the last however many matches, just like I always do. Um, And they've been an outlet for me for other things, right? Like, they always have been. And there's something awesome about that. But it's also, like, worth recognizing, right? That, like, this is... Like it's a tough situation and i think it's okay to admit like it's a tough situation we just want to be fans and the problem i'm having is there are fans that are saying no no no. if you're having that dilemma then you're not a real fan and that to me is where the problem is
0: yeah i i think that's something that i saw a lot of too it was almost like you said a complete whitewashing of the situation and basically just trying to like lord fandom over you if you don't try to whitewash and that's that was one of the very problematic things that I saw, but, um, and, and I think it's problematic because it gets into the debate of what and what is not a fan. And I don't know how you define that because it's a completely subjective definition at the end of the day, because it varies from person to person. Um, and, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I, I say this as somebody who, you know, I've been watching matches since about 2009. Is uh, when I started watching matches pretty consistently or enough to really know the team and, you know, XYZ and, and know a lot about it, but, you know, started watching about 09 pretty regularly. And, you know, I've been around a long time. Um, you know, I, I didn't join Chelsea Twitter until 2018. Um, but, you know, I, I was still my own fan watched a lot uh, and, you know, and now between the podcast, you know, I was writing a lot last year and, you know, still, communicating actively with a lot of Chelsea fans. And I, and I like all of that and, you know, member of the supporters trust throughout this whole process, maybe realize like, yeah, I mean, you can own a really small share in this and the say of what happens and be involved with a vote. And uh, I think that's well worth it um, for anyone out there. I mean, it was, I think even as an international, it was like $6, you know, after, after the processing fee. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad. And, and I highly recommend to any listener out there, go ahead and join. I mean, it's it's something that gives you an active vote in this process if you want to pay it. And it's incredibly affordable um, to do so. You also have the Chelsea pitch owner, which you can buy a share in as well and have your say there, too. Um, And and know that you'll always be a part of Stamford Bridge and Chelsea have to play there. And, you know, you know, the 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 lion and there's a lot of other like, you know, traditional things that will always be Chelsea because of those two organizations. Uh, But in a wider scheme you know, I, from both, you know, ends of the, uh, the spectrum, you know, arguing about fandom to, you know, uh, doing whatever you can to be involved in the club um, in, in an actual day-to-day operation thing, as far as voting, uh, they're all important things. But I, I think what, what we are getting at Jordan was very problematic. Again, I, I think that's for many different reasons, because like I'm saying, like you can look at anyone's background of how they are a fan and and have different interpretations of it. And I think that's why it's kind of a, a moot point discussion to try to discuss now there's obviously people out there that like slander our players you know slander past players things like that not and when I say slander I mean like just purely vitriolic abusive type language that that really does no one any good um nobody ends up better off for it so I think like that's the kind of stuff where I can see you you question somebody uh being a fan um or you or in the way in which you question them, there's a respectful way to do it instead of just being an ass about it and saying you're not a fan and throwing it in their face ask them like is this how you support the team and how how do you feel like this support makes things better that's it i mean that i think that's a valid question because they might comment you well i have these incredibly you know harsh opinions because i yeah i care so much that xyz and that's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, it's going to be probably underpinned by some form of care. So even that becomes a different, a very difficult and slippery slope to walk down. But I think the uh, uh, one thing I was going to touch upon that kind of builds from this is that you have this, you have this really big shift in how we looked at uh, Roman Abramovich. And and it's like what Ola was saying is we knew these things were there before, but we looked the opposite direction. Why are we so different now? And I think that's, the wider issue is that sports washing is becoming incredibly effective at what its goal is. And it accomplishes it very, very well. Uh, whether And that doesn't, and that's not pertaining to any, you know, just Russian or just Saudi or Qatari investors. There's plenty of other terrible people out there that are going to own a sports club to, you know, increase revenues as well as increase optics and, and, and transparency. Um, and, and I think that's where we really get into that discussion of, why you know where do we draw the line where do we not draw the line and it's an incredibly difficult subject to have and i honestly suspect a lot of it can probably boil down to some form of cultural relativism where there's going to be different interpretations based upon you know geography uh and 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 those things so i've seen a lot of different takes i've seen a lot of people get abused for their takes um and you know i've seen a lot of people get praised for theirs um and, and which are very calculated and they know what to say and what not to say. But at the same time, I, I just, I don't know where we get into this moralness of it because it's incredibly difficult balance to walk and tra- granted like, look, for me, it's been an incredibly difficult balance to walk. Um, it's been one where, you know, not, uh, I think it was the match before the Burrow match, you know, we scored and I, I seriously just sat there and just watched. I didn't have any, I was basically completely emotionless. And it was because it's all been completely drained out of me at that point. You know, everything was going online. All of the, you know, you, you saw so many times where the fan base is chanting Roman Abramovich during moments of solidarity for Ukraine. And it's just like, can you, you, you got to think a little bit about what you're doing and what, what you're doing and how you're doing it, you know, where you're doing it. You have to think about, exactly, you have to read the room is what Olas I was saying. And, 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 and those are things that just optically look so, so poor. And it just gives nothing but rival fans and media a stick to beat you with. And then when they beat you with that stick, you cry out that old, you know, that old line. Well, they hated us anyway. And and, and then you just become this self-fulfilling prophecy and you're just this person on a soapbox, you know, and and you're never going to be right. You're never going to be wrong because no matter what evidence you have, it's going to it's going to go, you know, whichever side of the fence that you're on for that. Um, you know, I think, and, and what I mean by that is the fan will say that's the media bias, the media will say, well, we have good reason to run this because it happens regularly enough. Uh, and and it's not our fault for reporting observations and trends among those observations. So that's where I feel like the campaign against Chelsea, it's just, it, it's really just kind of, to me, boils down to tribalism at that point. Yes, there is some form of probably a media slant against us, but I don't think that the coverage besides a few journalists which I don't really need to name that they, they've gotten plenty of plenty that has come their way already and I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that because some of the things they were saying were just downright uh, you know completely non-factual as well as just totally vitriolic and, and they're they're journalists representing very very large publications they have to consider their actions as well but you know I, I just feel like that that's where we get is it, it just evolves back to that same old thing and that same old, you know, campaign against Chelsea, the media agenda, and then the media running these stories, looking, you know, saying, "How oh, look at these fans, why are they doing this? There's been plenty of things. I don't need to go into the full list of why there's been, you know, potential, you know, uh, paranoid-like campaigns against Chelsea. But it, I think that all of this kind of feeds into the larger bit of it, which is that, we opened a box here with Roman Abramovich, and, and, and so did the UK government. The, the, this isn't a situation that's entirely upon, you know, Roman o- owning, owning the club and, and just, you know, fueling, you know, potentially fueling Putin in, into a war. Um, there's so much more to it, regardless of whether you think he, he's directly responsible for what's happening today. Abramovich was absolutely responsible for some of the power and wealth and transition to Putin that that happened and in the subsequent fallout from that. He's absolutely responsible for those things. And so many people were, and myself included, and I always said, look, you ask me about Roman Abramovich, I'll tell you what I think about Roman Abramovich, the owner, and I'll tell you what I think about Roman Abramovich, the person. And I always would say that. I, I compartmentalize the two people. But now I feel like for me, that cognitive, that was a form of cognitive dissonance, that compartmentalization, that's exactly what it was. And I I confronted that now. And this whole process made me confront that and realize, look, you can't compartmentalize. They're the same, they're a part of the same thing at the end of the day. So you can act like you're breaking down, you know, that's like saying that my brain, uh, my heart is different than my brain, even though my heart is regulated by my brain, right? It's all a part of the larger, you know, system or body or whatever it is. And in this case, it's Roman Abramovich. And, and that's where I, I really had that disconnect where it was, okay, I have to face what I've been trying to do for so long. And I faced that. And it was an incredibly uh, difficult process to go through because at the end of the day, it's like all oh, I said, I just want to enjoy the damn club. I just want to enjoy football. That's what I like doing. I still play, I coach, you know, I, I pod with you guys, I write. I'm always talking about it. It's one of my absolute favorite things, just the game itself. And Chelsea's just the team I happen to put that passion behind the most. But uh, yeah, it it was an incredibly grueling process uh, in so many different ways, especially because you had to to really start to argue about geopolitical uh, topics with people that you just really like and respect for talking about football. And I think that was also hard because it was just like, uh, this is just a territory nobody wants to go. And it was impossible to not go there. And, And it was just a very difficult process, I think, for all fans and, coping with it in the real, uh, in the real time as it was in the here and now it was, uh, for everybody, it was different and everybody probably had uh, different tolerances for the situation and how they, how they backed it. And all I hope is that we move on. We choose a pr- potentially less problematic owner, but I do realize any owner we choose is going to still be problematic. Um, it's just a, a matter of how relative, uh, do you want to get with that? And, you know, put that on a spectrum and is, are you choosing the best for the worst, I guess, is, is how I'll, I'll say that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if, if you guys want to build upon that absolutely feel free or if anything else you have to add, go ahead. But I, that's kind of where I was at. It kind of sums up my thoughts and feelings on this, uh, on this entire ongoing situation.
1: One one last thing. Uh, uh, Sorry. One last thing. I, I think part of what I mentioned was, you know, this, this process, this, Abramovich, thing, the Saudis taking over clubs, and it's something that is regulated by a certain body, and that same body turned around, well not turned around, but that same body started making it look like this this possibility that is going on. How did it happen? You made it happen. It didn't happen out of the blue. I mean, when when Roman came to, I want to buy Chelsea. Someone agreed to, to sell the club to him. Someone agreed to, to, to let him manage the club. Same thing with Manchester City, same thing with Newcastle. And that same body is going to facilitate another sale. So what I'm saying is, when I, when I ask where is the consistency, it's not because I'm trying to say, ignore, ignore this guy's sin because somebody else has a certain sin. I'm saying you set precedents, actually governing bodies like Premier League, FIFA, UEFA, uh, UK government, you set president, So when you allow certain things to happen, we will be watching you and we'll hold you to those standards. We'll hold you to the decisions you've made. So when you go around and say, oh, this, this, we have to remove this. We ask you, well, why allow this and then not allow that? When Newcastle, when Newcastle wanted to be taken over by the Saudis, I saw a lot of people say, you know, uh, Newcastle fans, you guys are going to have to live with this now. And I saw a lot of, of reports saying that many clubs were disagreeing with it. And I was like, how can you disagree with it now? The reason why Premier League is the richest club in, in the club, Premier League is the richest league in the world, is because there's a lot of money in the league. And there's a lot of money in the league because there's a lot of foreign investors. Abramovich's money is part, made, made, made that so. When Abramovich came into the league, you know, the league averaged the average points for for a league league title winner went up by like six points. Yeah, he was the first. Were the first to get ninety plus points in two consecutive seasons. So he raised everything. He changed everything. He put his money in. Uh, Asadis came and put their money in. All that money is being enjoyed by everyone that is employed by the Premier League. Everyone is mm-hmm. working under the Premier League. I'm not saying everyone should you know resign from their jobs. Well, I'm just saying that. The, the, the UK government now, the, the stance they're taking is a bit rich coming from them. Because I saw Boris Johnson the other day talk about how, you know, they welcomed Saudi investment. Investment. That's an interesting word to use. Because, you know, I mean, we well, understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the UK government, for instance, now is going to probably have a say in who doesn't become the owner. Maybe they don't have a say in who does. But they have a saying who doesn't, because apparently all the owners have to be vetted by by them somehow. And then the Premier League also has to vet them. And the other day, Premier League uh, disqualified Abramovich from being a, a, an owner. I mean, that's quite nice, considering that, you know, Saudis are still owning the club. They are fit to own clubs. I, I'm not saying forget somebody's sin, but I'm saying as a governing body, when you make these kind of decisions, you have to make it in a way that is sustainable. And don't run under, you know, when, when a war happens in another country or when something happens, you now try to save face to the world. It doesn't work that way. We can't just run away from the consequences of our actions. I'm a firm believer in, you know, taking responsibility. And they didn't take responsibility in this situation. I understand that they, they sanctioned a lot, of, a lot of clubs and a lot of companies. But at the end of the day, it all it all fell at their feet. It, it all came to their table. The Premier League allowed this to happen, and they are going to allow more because if the Saudi media group was even allowed to beat. It means that they will be considered. And Boris Johnson said, you know, we 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 we, we encourage Saudis, we encourage the Saudi investment. So which is it? Do you people want to be be rid of dirty money or not? <laughs> Okay, you can't eat your cake and have it. You can't choose when to take this stance, if, if, if you get what I'm saying. So it's just a bit, it all falls down to the UK government at the end of the day. And they are taking some very interesting stances. And I'm looking at them like.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, and this is not, I'm not saying this is how everybody should be. It's just for me. So, like, the NFL team I root for the Browns just traded for a guy that, I, I mean, the evidence is pretty damning that he sexually assaulted 22 women. And that like raised, like that happening right after this Roman stuff, like threw me for a loop. And I think like where I came down on it is the Browns ownership is make, is trying to make me support this guy. Whereas I'm not defending Roman, but, or, or any owner. But as long as Chelsea's owner doesn't do something that makes me feel like I have to support either some like root for some human that's terrible or more than that make me support something that is terrible as long as they don't do that i I will find a way to as travis said and i'm not because this is why i'm not saying it's a great philosophy because it's cognitive dissonance but i can disassociate the two and again that's bad Uh, i i fully admit that like me doing that is a problem but like i can do that whereas like with the Browns, like where they are making me or trying to make me support this action, or like, it would be a problem if I were rooting for PSG, right. For, for very similar reasons. Um, but, but I don't feel like Chelsea has done that yet. And to that point, like I can disassociate. And if they do that, then I will have to reevaluate my, my fandom. But until that point, like Chelsea does a lot for me, like at an emotional level, And win or lose, like it's when they lose, I'm never in a bad mood. Uh, because just like the ability, the joy for me to be able to watch them is emotionally like really important to me. Um, but like, I think like, I think like all three of us have like slightly different views on this, but like where we all agree is that like you, like everybody is allowed to have different views and it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad fan. Um, and I think it's the people that turn on that right let's say you're a bad person or a bad fan for having those views where i i have a problem with it
1: no and i
0: i think that's a pretty good way to put it you know the situation's going on with the cleveland browns um you know it's a very good parallel but at the same time it, it's, a, it's a bit different at the same you know in the same token but um i think it's a good way you know to kind of wrap up there is that you know there's so many different opinions about this, but at the end of the day, you know, it's all relative to somebody's own perspective of fandom and, you know, how you regulate that is, is very difficult. I think, you know, there's no point to be outright vitriolic and abusive. That does, that's not even really fandom. That's just, you know, again, that's just abuse. That's not, that's not doing anybody or anything any good that you're just being a, a, a retributive or, you know, you're just lashing out at somebody online just because I, uh, i I guess maybe a societal you know point here is that you know it seems that progressively there's a trend online where people don't feel good until they 've made somebody else feel bad and and i and I think that that's probably just a wider trend outside of just our own fan base, but I think that that's the stuff you know if you have to say anything needs regulated that's it and and other than that it's pretty hard to regulate opinions um as far as that goes but and with that it's an incredibly complex situation and you know, always welcome to listen to other thoughts about, you know, I disagree with 95% of the thoughts I hear about it. Um, but, you know, always willing to listen. And But there is a time where I feel like I do have to withdraw from that because it does, you know, eventually kind of devolve into who's a fan and who's not um, at times. But I have a feeling that probably will not be the last time we have that sort of a uh, feeling or observation uh, about this. But with that, guys, a really good episode today. Um, hopefully not too long for listeners. I think it was a little, just a little over an hour, maybe an hour and a half at most, but uh, uh, you know, really good. I think we have some good discussion there and just kind of got a little bit of clearing the air as far as things go for us on that. But uh, all right, everybody until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.